Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this pod, we cover the late pick five at Belmont on Saturday, May 5th. This is show number 120, May 7th, 2021. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, nice job with Medina Spirit last week. Did you cash well on the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, I did. It was it was a fun derby. Uh, you know, it's always fun to have some good results uh, when you do these sort of podcasts, especially on the Derby, because that's probably, I think, our most listened to pod of the year. Um, that early uh, overview with Jay Privman that we did typically gets listened to more than any. So it's nice to have a good opinion, maybe help, help some of the listeners cash, I hope, out there. Uh, definitely some friends and family were pretty happy. You know, I mean, like one really good story I had is a friend of mine had uh, brought a friend into, you know, introduced them into racing. They just kind of gotten started and they were playing the races on Derby Day and they hit the try and super. So needless to say, we kind of hooked a new player into the game. And to me, that's what it's all about on these big days is try to bring in some new players and, and have them kind of experience that feeling of, of, of having a big score. And that's what brings them back and keeps them in the game. So it was good. You know, it was a good derby. Many people don't hit uh, that super paid like $8,000, I think maybe 9,000. Many people don't hit a super ever, or if they do, it's well into their like second or third decade of handicapping. So uh, I think, we probably have a keeper there. Yeah, that's what you hope. Um, and so, uh, you know, and that's what with the sport of Kings and with our podcast and with the contest site, it's all about trying to bring new players in and kind of develop players that are already in the game and get them more interested and help them be more successful. So anything we can do that moves things in that direction is always good. Play in the Sport of Kings NHC Qualifier starting every month. Each month, the top 50 players who are NHC Tour members advance to Round 2, which is Breeders' Cup weekend. In that final, 450 players will duke it out playing all 14 Breeders' Cup races. Two people will win a seat to the NHC, and the top 100 will get Tour points. Join the NHC Tour before any monthly Round 1 begins. If you join the Tour, you could win up to 20 seats to the NHC in free contests. For only 50 bucks, it's the best deal in racing. If you sign up for the tour, use promo code SPORTOFKINGS so we get credit. If you haven't signed up for our free contest with free DRFPPs, go to sportofkings.net right now. Thank you and good luck. We have a special guest. He's executive director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. 
He's actually used to call races at Philadelphia Park. He covered racing in Dubai for eight years, and he worked in Hong Kong racing for three years. He's Pat Cummings. Pat, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Scott. It's uh, great to be here. All right. Well, Pat, you're most known for, but you may not be known by all our listeners, for working for the uh, Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. And they and you have released a series of papers on the topic of wagering insecurity. Now, I strongly recommend anyone interested in the state of the industry to read these papers, which can be found at racingthinktank.com. But Pat, can you summarize the issues you are addressing in these papers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they're plentiful. Um, it, it's going to be a 12-part series overall, depending on where everyone's kind of coming into it. Uh, it's, it's easy enough to go to racingthinktank.com and, and go back and read the previous versions if you're just kind of catching on to where we are. But uh, regardless, the, the series is focused on the state of integrity in North American racing relative to wagering. So what is the state of our wagering systems security, the actual systems that process the bets, and, and how secure are we there? And then um, on top of that, really a, a totally different path is the integrity of racing. Um, are we monitoring wagering? Are we monitoring threats to racing wagering? Um, are, are our officials uh, staying on top of it, uh, monitoring things for, for race fixing, for betting coups, for uh, anything that could really uh, assault the confidence of well-intentioned customers, which has a really long-term detrimental effect to participation in the business. And, you know, I think there's no, there's no argument to the fact that in the last uh, 20 years, roughly, total wagering on American racing adjusted for inflation is down about 50%, 5 0%. Uh, that, of course, is troublesome on the surface. But what that does not account for is how the customer participation has shifted of that total. So we estimated back in a paper we released last July that the uh, all customers who were betting, let's say, under uh, you know, $10 million a year, uh, ordinary customers, right? Those, those groups of customers... Um, from from ordinary weekend warriors to the occasional $2 better. Um, their overall participation in racing has declined by about 70% adjusted for inflation in the last 15, 20 years, whereas those super high-volume betters, their participation has increased by about 115% adjusted for inflation. So while overall performance of of, of you know, wagering and, and how, how Americans are betting on U.S. racing has clearly declined overall, the composition has changed too. And that has an impact on customers. And it really does draw into question how well we are doing to oversee the sport. Uh, we, we break out a line later in this series that on one side of horse racing, you have the sport essentially being regulated down to the trillionth of a gram. That's a picogram. So if you have doping tests that where it suggests that any prevalence, any trace amount, a picogram, one trillionth of a gram would result in disqualification, that is regulating down to that 
truly microscopic level. On the other side, we, we do not have stewards who ask questions of jockeys and trainers about the decisions they make in races, why they d decided to suddenly take a hold when on paper it looks like this horse is absolutely going forward and has an established pattern to race uh, forward, to, to maybe set the pace or be forwardly placed, and then you end up in a slowly run race where the jockey has decided to take a hold. They don't ask those questions. We have great inconsistency in our stewards' boots. We have no monitoring of wagering pools or little monitoring of, of the uh, paramutual wagering pools. There is a growing market of illicit gray market betting beyond American shores. They share no revenue with American racing. They present a series of integrity threats. And there's also significantly growing international fixed odds betting on American racing uh, through agreements which are actually licensed by the, by the U.S. tracks. And up until maybe a month or two ago, America had no insight as to how uh, customers were betting on our races through those fixed odds channels and if there were any integrity concerns. Um, but I, I do know when we released and revealed in this series uh, in, in our executive summary and will actually come out next week, the week of, uh, I guess, May 10th or 11th, uh, we'll, we'll come out with uh, more details on how European bookmakers have identified suspicious betting on American racing for the first time in the fourth quarter of 2020. Their, their problem was they didn't have anyone to report it to. They had no relationships with, with North American racing regulators. Now, I think that may be starting to change as a result of our reporting on this, uh, but it, is, it, is, it makes it very clear that there's a problem. We're far, far behind the rest of the world and as much as we can say we want Lasix free racing or we want to be on the same level with doping control measures, that's all well and good. Uh, you can have all the hangouts and water pre-race that you want, but in the after race, you need to, to maintain what the international standards are, reporting on different incidents, on having betting monitoring and all those, those sorts of things. So it's, it's been a very comprehensive series. Uh, tip to tail, we're talking about over 20,000 words on the topic. Um, interviews like like what you guys have here and, and platforms to talk more about it and so uh, we, we certainly invite people to read it think about it ponder it and if they have comments questions reach out to us or reach out on social media there are links to, to email us and all the stories uh, we're hearing from plenty of people so it's it's, it's been a very engaging piece it's a <clears throat> tremendous thing that you guys are doing and I, it makes me uh, wonder this allowed are you in touch with the jockey club? Like, do you have an in there? I mean, do, are they listening to what you're saying? Um, I certainly have had communications with Jim Gagliano at the jockey club and some others that are there over the years. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked every, every so often, but as it relates to this matter directly, no. And I would say the reason is they don't have any, power in that space. This is, this is not necessarily their area. Uh, they're not, they don't serve in a regulatory capacity as it relates to wagering on racing. Uh, this is something that, that has to, to take effect in, uh, at the state levels. And as we get into our recommendations phase, which will be the week after the Preakness stakes, uh, we make it very clear that the new Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority should become 
the horse player's best friend. You cannot have doping control on horse racing and not have oversight on wagering. The two go hand in hand. And there is a problem uh, when you are uh, energized to stamp out uh, you know, doping by only considering or, or by being kind of guided by the shining lights, the tremendous outliers like Jorge Navarro and Jason Service in that case. Because it's one thing to be doping horses to try and gain a performance enhancing advantage, but there is also the possibility for plenty of doping to degrade performance, performance degrading enha um, enhancements essentially. Um, and that has happened. Uh, it happens in other parts of the world. Uh, we talk about stories of it happening. The, probably the most famous here in recent years was masochistic in his maiden win in California in 2014, which we outlined in part two of our series and the betting coup that happened then on Kentucky Derby Day thereafter. We are engaging state regulators and that's all well and good, but the regulatory picture is going to change in America with the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority. And there is a real interesting, what I'll call, Scott, a side door that is in that legislation that enables uh, the authority to have exclusive, independent, national authority over all uh, safety, uh, the, the specific line is, is all um, that HISA can exercise independent and exclusive national authority over the safety, welfare, and integrity of covered horses, persons, and covered horse races. So it's saying that this new authority can exercise independent and exclusive authority over the integrity of covered horse races. That should include wagering. There's no way it can't include wagering. It is fundamental to the integrity of the race to include wagering and wagering oversight. That's, uh, that's, that's a great point, and uh, I hope you can get into the side door. Chris, did you have any questions for Pat regarding the wagering integrity aspect? Well, I mean, it's really interesting, really important. So I, I want to second what you said. I really appreciate all the work that's gone into it. And hopefully um, some of the right people will be listening to this. And maybe this new body, uh, uh, governing body, can play a role in, in improving things. But the one question I'll have, and you don't need to give a long answer on this, but, you know, I because I think I know the answer. But, you know, why do you think it is that it's been completely ignored pretty much? in the United States, this whole wagering integrity piece? Um, I, I would say the first part of that, Chris, is that uh, the oversight that racing does have through the a group called the Thoroughbred Racing Protective Bureau, the TRPB, is essentially uh, self-regulation. So the, the tracks have funded the TRPB for years, it's a group of uh, maybe three or four people who are looking after racing. They've created some platforms, and it's it is akin to self-regulation. It's the tracks regulating themselves, monitoring themselves. 
Um, when we know that the tracks also serve as towed company, you know, they own towed companies, they, they, they share ownership there, they run the ADWs, they own high volume betting shops like Velocity, which is a Churchill Downs entity and Elite Turf Club, which falls under first group in Stronach. Um, there's a lot of conflicts of interest there. There is nothing independent that is doing this. And that's why you need something like a national authority that, that reports under, under the government to, to pull this off legitimately. And that organization, the TRPB, has been defunded for years, which we outlined in, in earlier parts of the series. So self-regulation works until it doesn't. And it doesn't anymore. The game has changed. The sport has changed. Wagering has changed. The illicit market is rampant, online, easily available, easily funded, particularly through cryptocurrency. And we're just sitting here um, essentially doing nothing. The rest of the world is, is absolutely crushing America when it comes to the, the, the state of play in, in, in being a monitor of, of wagering. Yeah, totally agree. I think also, you know, maybe the as we start becoming more of an international sport on the wagering side, if that does eventually evolve in that direction, that will help too, because then it becomes this tangled web and you're only as strong as your weakest link. So hopefully, you know, that would put some pressure on trying to improve things in the U.S. as well. Well, we, we reveal in, in part nine this, this coming week um, how it is estimated right now the total fixed odds betting on American racing through licensed European bookmakers, what is essentially you know fully legal wagering in Europe, uh, is currently over one billion dollars annually. So the equivalent of, of roughly ten percent, the number was one point four billion really, but it's about thirteen percent of of the parimutuel market. Uh, is, is how much is happening legally on American racing. That's pretty significant. It's growing. Um, and, and I think that, you know, racing in America really needs to embrace that side of it too. So I think we're going to see it grow here too. Eventually that is where the regulation is pushing, but all of it essentially is going to be for naught unless we get a handle on oversight, monitoring, integrity issues, building the regulatory infrastructure around wagering, which Australia, Great Britain, Hong Kong are all doing better than we are. Okay, well, um, really glad to have you on and glad to bring this up and glad uh, you're doing the work that you're doing, Pat. Uh, anybody who's interested in reading up on these things, you can get on their mailing list at racingthinktank.com. <laughs> and we will do the uh, late pick five at Belmont on Saturday, May 8th. We're starting with the seventh race. It is the Vagrancy Handicap, a grade three, six and a half furlongs on dirt, purse of 150000 for fillies and mares, four-year-olds and up. For those that don't know, French Empire has been reported to be scratched. Uh, she'll be running in a different race, I think, at Pimlico. So we'll get started in this race with Pat as our guest. Who do you like in this race? I'll be honest, guys, this is the race I, I have probably the, the least um, strongest opinion of the sequence. Uh, I find myself very likely to use probably all of these horses in some capacity on my tickets. Uh, the focus, um, you know, the, the horse I'm probably going to use most is number five, Honor Way for Charlton Baker. 
Um, I, I, I just like you know what she has done at Belmont at the six and a half furlong distance in particular. Um, and so she is is the one that I want probably most here, kind of a, a gritty seven-year-old mare who will be making her 43rd career start. And she's in just absolutely tip-top form from the end of last year and had a, a really decent uh, decent comeback race. So I, 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 my preference is on her way, but it, I won't say it's a strong opinion. And I think all of these are essentially capable on their best. And so that's why I'm going to, I'm probably using most of them here. Okay, on our way, second off a layoff, hard-hitting, uh, four for eight at the distance. Chris, what did you think here? Well, the initial statement that Pat made that these horses are hard to separate is a good one. Unfortunately, it's a small field. It's always hard to kind of identify and leverage any value in a, a small field. But when they are kind of evenly matched, I'm always – tempted just to toss the favorites so i'm a little bit more against like pacific gale and on her way they certainly could win but i don't see them as you know really being significantly better if better at all than the other horses in the race so if i'm going to bet this race i'm probably going to make sure i try to beat those two um you know of the remaining four horses it's really hard to separate them probably the the two I'm the most interested in, you know, one that would be, well, I'll just talk about one for now. Um, in a small field, especially in New York, um, I'm always interested in a horse that could clear early, especially when it's on a, a with being ridden by a rider who reliably will send a horse that should be forwardly placed. And the two horse Sadie Lady sort of fits that description. Looks like she can clear. Got Kendrick Carmuch, who's a send rider on speed horses. Uh, I think she could open up and be very tough to catch. And if you can get that six to one or maybe even float up above that, she seems like a very playable horse. Certainly not a standout, but from a value perspective, you know, I think she's much better value than, than the favorites and a couple others in here. I think you can make a case for as well, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Scott, see what he likes. And, but, um, to me, Sadie Lady, very dangerous on the front end. All right. I think I may have the longest shot on the board here. As my my main horse, that is Kiss the Girl. She was second in the Schuylerville in her second start when she was trained by Todd Pletcher. That shows that she had talent. Um, she has talent, but she didn't really develop until late in her four-year-old year. Um, then she switched trainers to Michael Trombetta. And since then, she's been on a she's been a new horse. Um, she's won a couple of races. She's improved from her two year old year for the first time. She's actually three for four on fast tracks sprinting, and she's only one for six on wet tracks. So she's going to get a fast track here. She's carrying one seventeen. Um, she's got some good spacing since her last race. She's a four year old, so she still may have some improvement in her. Uh, I can see her stepping up and winning here, and I would not play the pick five without her. Pat, do you want to jump in with any, anything else? Yeah, look, I think you guys are, are helping helping make the case that uh, if you're playing the pick five, it, 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 you know, unless you have a strong opinion that this is probably a, a race that you're going to want to find a way to get coverage on most of these if you're able to narrow your ticket somewhere else, which – 
as I uh, alluded to, I, I think I, that that's the way I'm going to be playing it. So we're uh, uh, just making the, the case stronger for me. Yeah, I'll just second. Kiss the girl certainly would be no shock. It seems a little bit high on the price with her, 15 to 1 in this field. But, of course, all the prices will come down a little bit with the scratch. But certainly she wouldn't be a surprise. The one uh, caveat with her, though, is she's going off Lasix for the first time. So we don't know if that will have a major impact. But we do know that that has made a difference with some of the horses um, this year, especially on the, the Philly and Mare side. The other horse I like in here um, as well is the three-horse victim of love. She's not a great price. Um, so at four to one, I'm not too excited, but you know, if they play Pacific Gale and on her way, um, maybe she floats up, she gets Rosario. She's another one that's coming off Lasix for the first time, which is the negative. But to me, you know, last summer, she was really good. She won this race. She beat Pacific Gale in this race last year. Uh, her, her race after that was a really good effort against Serengeti Empress. Something went wrong. They gave her time off. She came back, had some uh, trouble in her uh, comeback effort, but it was pretty solid. Now she goes second off a layoff at, at a you know at a distance and surface you know she can can run her best at. So to me, she's the one to beat. It's just a matter of what will the price be with her. Um, she may take some money given that Rosario is on, and she's the defending champ. That's a case I'm not too interested if, but if she were to float up, I think she's probably the most likely winner in here, but probably from a value standpoint and, and anticipating what I think the likely odds will be at post time, I think the two Sadie Lady on the front end is the way to go. I kind of think Sadie Lady is going to get bet as a Rob Attress trainee who's won her last two on the lead. Uh, it seems six to one seems a little high to me. But um, we'll see. Price is final arbiter. Let's move to the, the eighth race. It's a maiden special weight, mile and a 16th on the turf, purse of $90,000. Phillies and mares, three-year-olds and up. And Chris, what did you think here? Well, the, the, one of the real interesting parts about this is that it's they're starting to to blend the three-year-olds and four-year-olds together in these maiden races. And the inside five horses are all three-year-olds and the outside five horses are all four-year-olds. Um, more so with the boys and the girls, and this these are fillies and mares here, four-year-olds are just much more developed than three-year-olds. Um, on the filly and mare side, not quite so much. So it's not as big a deal as it would be with the Colts. But you've got some pretty well-met first-time starters, and I'd kind of favor the four-year-olds over the three-year-olds um, in those first-time starters just because they're probably more mature and a little bit faster and stronger than the three-year-olds. So that's just one general comment I would make. Um, uh, and there is one first-time starter I'm kind of interested in, but the, the horse I'll talk about first is the 10-horse Bonkers. And I may be a little bonkers for picking this horse. It's a big price on the morning line. Like I said, there's quite a few well-meant firsters. And if one of those is really good, this horse probably will not win. But I like kind of the story 
because this is a horse typically I would hate because it's by Bernardini running on the turf, and I always making fun of Bernardini as a turf sire, more as a first-time turf than overall. Uh, but this horse has run well on the turf. It's bred to get better with age. Bernardini's get better with age, and and the the bottom side is all turf with Kittens Joy Mare, who was actually a really nice mare, emotional kitten, stakes winner, very fast. So this horse is meant to be good going long on the turf as an older horse and actually ran pretty well as a two-year-old on the turf, then had something go wrong. They brought it back. For some reason, they kept running it on the dirt. It ran okay, but not great. Uh, went on the sidelines again, and now it's in the Michael Maker barn. And of course, he's all about going long on the turf, so he's not going to mess around with any dirt races. He brought it back on the turf, had a major excuse. If you watch the race in mid-stretch, horse gets bumped, and the rider actually loses the iron and kind of has to take up on the horse. And eventually, you know, gets his foot back in, and the horse gallops out well, but it had really no chance given what happened in the stretch. Now it goes second off a layoff. It's like a year and a half since that good race on the turf back as a two-year-old. Um, it's in the barn with a trainer who knows how to get him to go along on the turf. So I expect a really big effort in here, second off the layoff. Um, a big improvement off its other races. The only question is, you know, how good are some of these firsters? And, um, you know, is someone going to be, you know, run a really big effort? But I expect bonkers to, to run well probably at least hit the board and maybe win at a big price. So I'm bonkers for bonkers, the 10 horse. Bonkers out of emotional kitten. <laughs> Pat, what did you think here? Bonkers is a single for me. Um, so I'm, I'm with you here, Chris, 100%. Uh, the reason she was off, uh, or at least that she um, – you know, had that break in October is that she went through the sales ring at Keeneland. Um, she was sold as a racing or broodmare prospect uh, by uh, the uh, Roy and Gretchen Jackson who bred her. Um, she went through the ring for $70,000 in November, picked up by Three Diamonds Farm, who could have a very big sequence here, I, uh, I should add. Um, I, I really liked... Uh, what I saw from her in that first race back for Maker, you outlined some of the trouble. What's notable is she she was cruising into contention behind the leaders. It was a bit of a uh, of a tight spot she was in too, and she was just cruising in behind them. When uh, Irad loses his iron, uh, he ends up kind of hopping along on her back for a sixteenth of a mile or so and regained it, and he really didn't set her down again after that he kind of handled her gingerly thereafter um i agree completely with the with the remarks three versus four-year-olds she is very well tried here and that experience i think is invaluable and not just the experience overall but the fact that she has had a race this season on the return so that puts a, an extra bit of freshness in her Makers put at least three works into her since that uh, eventful incident at uh, at Gulfstream. Uh, she was two to one that day too, right? So she was she was well played and well supported. Now there's been not a whole lot that has come out of that race 
since a first time starter has since gone on to route Florida breads as a uh, four to five favorite since a horse that actually finished behind bonkers. But uh, the, the first three have not come back with anything of, of subsequent. So uh, I, I thought it was, uh, I, I think the price is, is a bit ludicrous. I don't expect to get 12 to one on her. Uh, I'm singling bonkers in, in, in the pick five, and I'll probably start pick fours here as well, and maybe even some pick threes using only bonkers. I think it's safe to say you're crazy about bonkers. Yeah, bonkers for bonkers, indeed. All right. Well, I actually, I, I will use bonkers. I certainly think the horse has a shot, but I would go deep in this race and I'd have a lot of horses, um, so I don't know if I'll even be able to play the pick five. Um, the horse I'm most interested in here is Now Use Can't Leave. Uh, this horse makes a debut for Tom Morley, who can win first out. But under these conditions, he's even better. Uh, as a first-time, in first-time starter, dirt routes, uh, turf routes, he has an ROI of 552. And as a first-time starter with this owner, he's three for seven with a 7.17 ROI. So uh, this owner apparently likes to win first out, and he likes to deliver. The filly costs 285000 The dam was two for eight on the turf. She shows a 47.4 gate work, which means she can do some running. Uh, so I, my recommendation to anybody is don't play the pick five without her because she's going to be at least 10 to one and maybe more. And she shows all signs of being able to run. Yeah, I agree with what you said. The one horse to tell a, a similar three-year-old good workouts, probably well meant. But again, I just think it's kind of like um, uh, high school kids against college kids here. Um, high school kids got to be really talented to beat the college kids and that to me is like the three-year-old versus the four-year-old so i'm going to be kind of anti the three-year-olds in here the firsters not because i don't think they're good just i think if they run well they're probably still a little bit behind the four-year-old so of the firsters the one i like in here is the six horse column doro a column doro is that how you say that i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right column doro i think so doro okay um, anyway, this horse was a half million dollar, um, purchase and, it, you know, had, came out of a, a fast mare and by a Medallia Doro and, you know, Shug is the kind of a trainer that's patient. So he'll let a horse, if it's a slower maturing horse, you know, take the time. So the fact that it's making its debut as a four-year-old doesn't bother me as much. You know, it might not have anything to do with physical problems. It might just be more of a just maturity thing and it's it's been working steadily all year long you know almost five months of solid works lots of good works in there down in florida and some good work since it came back to new york um just a lot to like there i think as the four-year-old if you could get eight to one had i i think that's the first or that's the most dangerous even more so than the, the chad brown runners in here uh is Cologne Doro. Um, so that's probably the first year I like other than, and bonkers, you know, is the one with some established form that I like um, among those four-year-olds. I will I point out that. Okay. No, go ahead. It's your turn, Pat. 
I, I, I was, was just going to say that you know, part of the part of my rationale for singling bonkers and, and coming out with a single, of course, is a lack of a real confidence and some question marks and some of the others. So, you know, I I, I feel similarly, um, you know, relative to the three versus four year old argument. I mean, there were some statistics that I, I definitely noted. For example, Brad Cox um, debuting a horse on turf uh, has a higher strike rate, for example, than he does uh, compared to all of his um, his debuters. Um, the seven infinite potential, uh, obviously an, an older debuter here, she probably had some some issues along the way, but her dam is a half to a, a group one winning filly from the Aga Khan named Daria Khanna, who was very good in her day. And, and, and you know, the, the, like why not to like Palamos, who if you're a, a fan of the buyer figures, if you're a fan of the time form figures, there are reasons to, I think, certainly uh, gravitate towards a Palamos for me, it was a fact that she is is unraced here as a four-year-old and, and, and may certainly need this one. And there are, I'm sure, are going to be plenty of people that look at the nine Flaming Rouge, um, seeing kind of Christophe Clement, first time North American, they'll, they'll kind of gravitate to that. I did take a look through Formulator and found that Christophe Clement, in uh, horses who are first time North America with him, uh, in maiden special weight races, one for seven in the last uh, five years. That one win came in a six-horse field, a pretty weak one at that at Tampa. Um, but all of them, uh, all but one of those seven runners, seem to get pretty well bet, and it's possible that this one could too, given that it's going to be getting Lasix, and that Clement, of course, is off to a pretty solid start uh, of the Belmont Stand with. Joel Rosario, six four fourteen. Um, the numbers might be a little bit different now, but but he also off to a, a pretty good start. I, I had no interest in Flaming Rouge. Um, I hear you certainly on on the four now. Use can't leave. The dam was two for eight on the turf, um, and and certainly tough to ignore the fact that uh, the owner has certainly picked up some pretty decent horses who have debuted well. We haven't talked about the five in Italian for Chad Brown, who debuted at Tampa. Uh, at the end of March, um, I tell you, I mean, she, she was all over the place, had a tight position in the stretch and to swing out across the back of horses, looked to be lugging in as well. Green as grass, I would uh, use as the definition here. And so she is certainly eligible to improve second up uh, for obviously a, a really strong barn. So uh, she she is one that I think would, would, would is and will definitely garner interest too. But um, I, I just, I, I just had experience. I had uh, the barn change. I had the trouble last time. A, a lot of things that really had me looking to think that Bonkers was the one I wanted here, and, and, and was the one certainly uh, that would offer value in the multis. I just want to point out that the four-year-olds are carrying seven more pounds, and I don't know, Chris. You, you follow the numbers more than I do, but do you think that's a a, 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 a fair scale, or do you think it's uh, not enough and they should be getting nine pounds? Well, I don't know pounds. how you define fair. I think it helps, but I think that it doesn't overcome. I mean, it all depends on the horses, right? I mean, you could have really good three-year-olds and bad four-year-olds, so the three-year-olds are going to beat them. But, you know, if you got first-time starters from Chad Brown and Shug McGahee going as four-year-olds, they're probably pretty good. 
and they're just going to be more mature. It's going to take more than a seven pound difference to make that up. That's just my my opinion based on kind of the normal development of horses. If these were colts, it would be, I mean, I would say the three-year-olds have absolutely no chance because the colts really develop a lot more. The, the, dirt, the turf routers, four-year-olds are much, you know, the end of the three-year-old season on dirt were colts. Typically, the better ones can compete with the older horses. On turf, they're usually not even close in the U.S. anyway. Um, the, you know, the best three-year-olds, like, the, like last year, you know, domestic spending and Colonel Liam and Gaffo and uh, those horses could not compete with the older horse, and they weren't even a good crop um, at that time. So, I mean, but in the dirt, it's, diff it's a little bit different. But so, fillies and mares, they develop earlier, so it's not as big a difference, but you know, I definitely think even with seven pounds that they're carrying, that they they have a big advantage over the three-year-olds, especially like a first-time starter. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm uh, I think you got to go deep in this race. I did exclude two of the three-year-olds, but I am eight deep. If I play the pick five, I'm eight deep in this race. I'm not going to bother listing them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I. Would, but but yeah. every horse I think has a shot, including Flaming Rouge. Yeah. And, you know, on these lightly raced horses, you know, especially haven't started at all, they're all can improve and it's always tough. But I, if I were going to play the pick five, I would toss all the three-year-olds and it, that, that would be half the field I'd get rid of right there. And then, um, you know, then you can make your decision. I agree with Pat of the four-year-olds. The one I'm the least interested in is the nine flaming rouge. Uh, the other four, you could make a case for all of those. So, um, you know, the way I play, I would probably just go with the six Colomb Doro and 10 bonkers and, and roll the dice with those. But if you're a little more conservative and you want to get through better chance, to get through the leg, you know, I'd play the, those other four older horses. Um, but I'm, I'm just against three-year-olds in here. Uh, we'll see, maybe it'll, I'll be proved wrong. Maybe one of them superstar, like, you know, an Italian will, an Italian will just really run big. You know, the second time out or one of the firsters will run really big, but um, I'm willing to take a chance against that. All right. Well, let's go to a race where we won't have to go eight deep. That's the Peter Pan, the ninth race. It's a mile and an eighth on dirt, purse of 200000 for three-year-olds. Risk-taking was just announced uh, about an hour ago to be running in the Preakness, which is too bad because I was going to bet against him. Uh Pat, where did you land here? I was also going to be betting against him. I have another single here, fellas. Uh, I am uh, singling number four, Wolfie's Dynagos for Tom Albertrani. Um, I, I have very little interest in, in some of the others in here. I, I was hoping to get a, a decent price by uh, you know, totally uh, eliminating risk-taking, but uh, I guess he must be doing well, so maybe that would have been a problem. Uh, considering that they're going to go ahead and go to the Preakness. But my thought on, on Wolfie's Dynaghost here is that Tom Albertrani does not normally have a, a, a good record. Uh, I mean, he hasn't had a great record in recent years, but uh, overall, in the last five years, his maiden special weight first-time starters were just five for 96. This horse is a half to Sadler's Joy, the, 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 the decent uh, grade one winning uh, turf marathoner. Um, it's worth noting that, that he is the first full out of this damn dine air to either win first out 
or to win at any time in its career at less than a mile. So there's every reason to think that the public saw all of that too in dismissing him at 33 to one on his debut uh, at Aqueduct back in November in a race that featured Weyburn, that featured Dynamic One and Unbridled Honor, uh, all of whom featured uh, as uh, triple uh, Kentucky Derby points earners in various uh, races along the way, all while Wolfie's Dyna Ghost was on the shelf. Now, uh, I thought it was a very impressive debut effort. Um, and, and considering the family history here, even though the fact that this horse was by Ghost Zapper, that they were trying him on the dirt straight away, that he won on the dirt, that he ran a little bit into a, a pretty quick early tempo against a, a group that turn, turns out to, to have been pretty decent. Um, all of that to me is very suggestive of the fact that this is a really good horse. Now, I don't have the details yet as to, as to why uh, this horse was on the sideline and missed uh, all the lead-in to the Triple Crown races, but, but here he is, and, and could he end up making the Belmont stakes off of this in his life in his third lifetime start if he runs well in the Peter Pan he certainly could and we know that the damn side pedigree will have uh, plenty of interest in getting him a mile and a half but I liked Wolfie's Dyna Ghost uh, quite a bit here and, and thought it was well worth taking a stand with him in a race um, where I, I still think he's going to offer some value relative to some of the others in here. Wolfie's Dyna Ghost, any, any horse that's related to both Ghost Zapper and uh, I had it here. Dynaformer Dino, Dino uh, has got to be included. Chris, what did you think? Well, I agree. And Wolfie's Dyna Ghost is interesting horse. Um, but I just can't play an Albatrani horse off a six-month layoff going nine furlongs. So... I agree the horse is meant to go longer. I agree it has a lot of talent. I'm not sure what, you know, the, the why the break, but, you know, I might actually be more interested in this horse in the Belmont than in this race. Um, maybe with a brace under its belt, it could be interesting in the Belmont. Um, even then, I think that would be asking an awful lot of this horse. So uh, I would be more interested in this horse next time out than this time out, uh, just given the barn and, and nine furlongs is a tough, on the dirt is tough distance to come back in your second lifetime start and off a six month layoff for a trainer who's not really good on bringing horses back on the dirt in particular off long layoffs. So I think as all, if this horse can win that race, it's super talented. Um, and maybe it is. Um, uh, and I think of the horses in the race, other than the five, they're all hard to separate. So I wouldn't talk anybody out of Wolfie's Dyna Ghost, but I'm not too excited about that. Um, and the price is probably, I mean, all these horses are probably going to be about two to one, uh, you know, the one through four, give or take a, you know, one point. So I'm not real interested in anybody. I am negative on promise keeper because he's run two clunkers, both without Lasix. And now he's in without Lasix again. So uh, to me, that horse looks like he needs Lasix. It's a small sample, but he's had two good races with it. And two bad races without it, so I'm not going to be playing with him on him without it. So that leaves two horses. To, and for me, I would go with the one over the two. Overtook. To me, it's kind of been a, an improving horse for Pletcher. You know, certainly bred to get the distance. Has some, you know, foundation. 
Uh, I'm not excited about it. I'm not going to be betting it to win, but you know, it is the highest price on the board other than the five. Uh, if it does go off at the highest price of those four, it's probably the best value, but it's probably not a, a good value. Um, but I'm, I don't have much interest in this race, um, but if I have to pick a horse, I would go with the one overtook. Well, I don't love the race either. It's, it's, it's kind of race that can really make the pick five unplayable. I did land on overtook as well. Uh, he's been fast since removing blinkers. He's working well. Uh, he's the highest morning line. I don't know what's going to actually happen. But I would also use Promise Keeper and Wolfie's Dyna Ghost. Um, and I would just, I would, I would use those three. Maybe I'd also try to figure out a way to use Nova Rags. Just there's no value there. Uh, interesting to note that Junior Alvarado stays on um, Nova Rags over Wolfie's Dyna Ghost. I, I'm just assuming he would have had his choice. So uh, that's kind of an interesting angle there. Maybe a point against. Wolfie's dying a ghost. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that, Scott. But fourth in a million dollar race, uh, beaten seven lengths behind Greatest Honor and Known Agenda. I'm not going to even suggest Soup and Sandwich, but um, I, I think he's just looking and, and, and is probably thinking the same thing that was mentioned earlier uh, that, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'm more likely to get a, a decent result here and potentially a decent amount going forward uh, on a horse that I know at least has handled some of the uh, some of the, the the top identified horses in the crop. Um, so it, it is a tick in the box for Nova Rags. Whereas if you if you were to go back to Wolfie's Dynaghost, good good run and all at that point, and, and and unsure of what it is that has kept him away from the races since November. Uh, it looks like a sound decision in the short term, at least for for Junior Alvarado. Yeah, I wouldn't disqualify the horse uh, for that reason, but um, it's just something something to think about. All right, let's move to the tenth. That's the Man of War. It's a Grade One mile and three eighths on the inner turf. Purse of seven hundred thousand for four year olds and up. Chris. Where'd you land here? Well, this is a really good race here. Um, this is fun. Uh, there, there's a horse in here, Gafo, who I've always loved this horse. Um, I thought he was, you know, in that group of three-year-olds that were pretty good last year. And I thought he was the one who was going to be the best as a four-year-old, especially at the longer distances. Um, and those other horses like Colonel Liam and Domestic Spinning have all come back to run well. So I expect foe to be a you know good this year um although i'll say you know given the conditions of the race he has to spot six pounds to most of this field it is off the layoff and he drew an outside post you know this is the time you're going to beat him i think if you're going to beat him so i'm kind of against him and i'm kind of against sovereign the uh brown horse the horse is good, you know, it was second to enable and it ran some good race in Europe, but I, I'm, these horses that have been running like two miles in Europe, I'm not that excited about them when they come to the U.S. They tend to be more plotters and I'm willing to take a shot against them when they get over bet, especially if they're being ridden by IRAD and trained by Chad Brown. This horse probably going to get massively over bet. So 
you know, I think this is a really interesting betting race if you can get past those two, and I think you might be able to. Of the, those two, I'm much more worried about Gafo than Sovereign. But, um, uh, you know, it's hard to zero in on who I like after that. I think I landed on the seven field pass because, you know, he was a cut below the top last year as a three-year-old. But, you know, he's Mike Maker. They keep getting better as they get older and they go longer. He's bred to go long by a lemon drop kid out of a runaway groom mare. You know, second off layoff, same connections as bonkers. I think Pat sort of hinted at that earlier. Um, you know, I, I just think this horse is primed for a good race. Not only that, he seems to have a, a big tactical edge in here. Uh, he's the only horse with any kind of speed. And we know on turf routes in New York, they crawl on the front end, even when there are speed horses. So it's hard to see with Luis Saez not taking control of this race early. You know, hopefully he doesn't get too cute on the front end. He kind of gets some separation before they turn for home. Um, and if he does that, I think field pass could be really tough to beat. There's others I'm interested in as well, but I'll stop right there and say, you know, I'm going to try to beat the favorites. I think field pass looks like the most likely winner given the race shape and, and everything else about the horse. So um, that's kind of where I'll leave it. Toss it over to Scott. Scott, are you on mute? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was saying field pass stretching three eighths off his last race, which was also his fastest race. Pat, where did you land? Yeah, I, I actually uh, f feel similarly to to Chris there about field pass, and and think he's one of the two that I'll probably focus on on my tickets here. Um, the, the logic that he sets out for field passes is, is absolutely uh, well within the range of the of the plausible. Couldn't agree more too about the the con the, the reference to how some of the New York based jockeys ride these races, and I too think he'll be forwardly placed. Although uh, it is worth noting, I have a feeling that number four Sky uh, so high uh, that that Naipaul Chatterpaul may choose to employ the. Uh, uh, the old mission approved tactics and, and send this horse forward uh, and see what they can what, what they can do with him. But uh, separate to that, um, the, the conversation about weight that we had earlier in the maiden race, I think it's notable in the sense that that was straight up weight for age. But this is, these are allowance conditions uh, in this grade one race. And to be fair, they stink. They absolutely stink that a horse like Gafoe uh, because of having a, a grade one win in, in a three-year-old restricted race, which, gentlemen, was a really bad three-year-old restricted grade one race last year at the Belmont Derby last year. Um, the fact that he's carrying 124 and Sovereign is, is only carrying 118 or um, Channel Cat is only carrying 118, um, this should just be straight up wait for age. It was discussed. Uh, I saw a discussion on Twitter about it the other day too, uh, between David Aragona, Marcus Hirsch, a few others, you know, the inability of this country to, to grasp either uh, straight up wait for age or legitimate handicap conditions. It should be one or the other. It should not be an allowance in a grade one race. That's what we have here. And it does make for a, a bit of a strange scenario overall. 
Um, I, of course, am, am strongly in favor of adopting a ratings-based handicap system. I think we should eliminate claiming racing, et cetera, et cetera. That's a conversation for a different day. That said, I'm using field pass. I'm going to probably use number one sovereign as well. Um, look, you know, back in, in 2019, he was the Irish Derby winner, did it all on the front end under uh, Park Beggy, who's kind of rides some of the, the, the deep down the third, fourth string horses for Aiden O'Brien in some of these races. Um, you know, and, and just kind of was, was in a bit over his head in some of the races he ran in last year. Notably, that, that best performance overall was that second behind Enable. Um, you know, it, 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 I mean, notable that he came on a good to firm uh, track, perhaps, and, and, and he's probably going to get similar conditions here. But uh, that race in Bahrain last year, at the end of the year, was interesting. It was over about a mile and a quarter, uh, about a, a, a one and a half turn race uh, at Secure Racecourse. Um, he was in front of stride after the wire. Uh, it was a, a really strangely run race. It looked to have a pretty good early gallop. And then the horse that was kind of in the stalking position ends up taking the lead. And that horse ends up going off and winning. And he opened a big margin on, on the field in the stretch, sincere. And then both Global Giant and Sovereign came and were trying to run him down at the death and they couldn't get there. It was weird. Well, I'm just going to say that it was, it was a weird race. Uh, Sovereign ends up in front right after the post, galloped out well too. Uh, and I think it was just a fact that it was, it was too little for him. He wants a little bit extra uh, ground and, and he's going to get it here at a mile and three eighths. Um, he's also shown a propensity in the, in the past to be forwardly placed, which I think will help him in this spot. And I hope Arad Ortiz does get him in that spot. So Sovereign is the other one I'm going to use in the Man of War. All right. I, I would point out, I meant to point this out earlier since we have those maiden races. This might be a good time to buy the DRF workout reports because that could give you some insight into A, how Sovereign is training and B, some of the first time starters. Um, in this race, I'm pretty much three deep. The horse I like the most is Zayad. He's a grade two winner. He should be higher than a six to one morning line. He ran a good race at Keeneland in the fall. That was his first race in the U.S. And in his last race, the next race after that, he got the lead early in a race that had a major closer flow. Um, racing flow, we'll call that the quick-to-zip upgrade where they went and they got caught up, moved a little too early into a hot pace and uh, got passed by the, the closers who the, the track was favoring. So... So I'm I'm angling on that, um, and I just read up a little bit in the Daily Racing Forum to quote Graham Motion. He said, I hope I have enough miles on him. I think I have. He runs well fresh, and I didn't want to waste a race. So I think this is an opportunity where, where um, the other horses may not be quite ready, but Zayad apparently has been training uh, pretty strongly. So uh, so he's my top pick. I have a couple others. I, I I, I didn't toss Sovereign, um, but you make a good point, Chris, about the the uh, you know the the, the overbetting that's going to happen on him. There's one other that I like, but I I know that you're going to like the horse too, Chris. So I'll let you talk about him. Yeah, you know I'm gonna I can't 
not saying anything about Channel Cat. I think Channel Cat took him a while to get going this year, but I think he's in good form now. And I do think he has, he's a grinder and he does his best running, you know, up near the lead. And they, they finally actually put him in the race last time and he ran well. He, he didn't win, but he ran a good race. Um, I think that's the way you need to ride him. There's not much pace in here. There's no reason why he couldn't be, you know, stalking field pass in the, the second spot. And, you know, he might be able to get the job done. He should be a pretty good price. Um, he has, you know, run good at this distance before, or, you know, at distances, similar, similar distance. I think actually won a race before at this distance, a graded stake. So, um, you know, I think he, act, he fits really nicely in here. Um, that, that, that wasn't the horse I was thinking, by the way. Oh, was okay. <laughs> well, anyway, that, that's who, I, the other one I like is channel cat in here. Um, so, uh, field pass, he is stretching out like Scott pointed out, but he's bred to the stretch out and he's got the master of, of getting them to go along. Um, I think that last one was a mile. It was a prep um, that he started at a mile with the, all, every intention of stretching him out. That's their plan with this horse, I'm sure, for the rest of the year. So the fact that he ran that well at a mile is to me a really good sign um, for field pass. So I'm seven field pass, five channel cat, lots of respect for Gafo. I think he'll make some noise this year. I'm just hoping maybe he's not ready and the and the weight and the the outside posts will be enough to slow him that his late freight train charge down. The horse I thought you were gonna also use is the two moon over Miami. He uh he ran a bang up race in his last race. I mean, I don't know what price he's gonna be, but he ran his best race ever. He ran fast as a three year old. Uh, if he repeats his last race at a mile and three eighths, I think he's going to be hard to beat. Um, I mean, he's he's right there. He beat Cross Border and a few other good horses in that race. Um, so I'm not sure why you don't like him. I'm so, I'm kind of surprised because he he reminds me of Field Pass a little bit, uh, but he'll be a much better price, or he will you know should be a better price. Well, he really he reacts to every good race he runs. And I think last time was the time to have him. Plus, there's a big difference between the Gulf Dream Park turf in March and the Belmont turf course. Um, to me, you know, in none of his races last year as a three-year-old on the turf would could come close to winning this. So, and he hasn't ever really strung together two good races in a row. So that's why I'm kind of I'm not as excited about him as someone like Channel Cat who pounds out good races once he gets going or Field Pass who really was running against the best and holding his own um, last year. That's all. Okay, well, that'll bring us to our next uh, head scratcher, the 11th. It's a maiden special, a mile and a 16th on turf also for Phillies Mares, three-year-olds and up, purse of 90000 Pat, what are you thinking? Yeah, and the, and the difference here is that uh, there's only two four-year-olds in this race as opposed to the other one, and they are not segregated as the uh, as the other field was. But it's it's pretty much it's the same division um, in a split race. Um, I'll be honest, fella, I had a little bit of trouble with this race overall. Uh, I found myself looking quite a bit at number one, Ms. Bonnie T, number two, Rastafara. Uh, monumental jockey upgrade on Ms. Bonnie T from the apprentice Luis Cardenas to John Velasquez. 
Um, hard to have imagined that Miss Bonnie T lost that last race, but she did get run down in the final 16th by Creative Cairo. And so now she drops back from the mile and an eighth um, in what is a, you know, a, a two and a quarter turn race at Aqueduct to this uh, one and a half turn mile and a 16th on the wider course. Um, so, 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 I mean, clearly she's going to be right there. And, and like I said, get the pilot upgrade, but I'm not sure if, if, uh, if she's also going to carry five extra pounds as a result of it. And, and that could be even more detrimental. So uh, we'll see. I didn't think Luis Cardenas did a whole lot wrong last time, but she still did, did get run down. The two Rastafara did draw my attention quite a bit off of her debut performance at Tampa, uh, where it really looked to me as though Antonio Gallardo just went a little early. And she also uh, gets caught right at the end. She may have been looking around a little bit. She may have been um, just a little distracted. You know, these things can happen with the young horses. Um, she also was three to four wide most of the journey, drawn eight of 10 in that race. So uh, she certainly comes out of that race with some excuses. It was not a bad performance. I do want to mention overall, just a very brief comment that um, there is a real significant potential integrity threat in American racing when you have horses like this and many others who run a Tampa in these maiden races for about $20,000 of total prize money and then you know they lose and then show up for ninety thousand dollars in their second start. You know th there are just so many opportunities for nefarious uh, behavior to to uh, fester in races such as this. I'm not saying this happened here at all in this particular case, but just in general, uh, when the winning jockey could walk away with prize money of of about twelve hundred dollars, um, you know you know what betting on those races uh, can be like. Uh, it's just something uh, I think belongs in the back of your mind. I looked at Scarabee uh, quite a bit, uh, looked at Gathered Flowers, who's a half to the grade one winner, Valid Point. Yes, Valid Point won a grade one race a, a few years back. But I'll tell you the one I ended up on. By the way, Gabby Squared also deserves a long look for all obvious reasons. The filly I ended up on here is number seven before you for Bill Mott and uh, making her second start for a new ownership group of really what are some pretty high-powered owners, Barry Schwartz, Wachtell Stable, and Pantafell Stable, will uh, they took over for this uh, filly as the owners after, uh, I don't know what happened uh, when this filly was with Juan Arriagata. She had been purchased for just $17,000 last year, debuts at Tampa, and going six and a half on the dirt, runs second, comes back in April for the new owners, uh, going six furlongs at Belmont on a muddy track, ran an even fourth, faded late, uh, and now is suddenly stretched out to a mile and a sixteenth on the grass with a couple decent workouts since that race uh, at Aqueduct. I looked into Belmont statistics, going uh, sprint to route, dirt to turf, uh, there are a couple examples that are out there. I mean, they're not eye-popping numbers. Overall, his second off the the uh, the, the short layoff uh, numbers, they're okay. First-time turf, it's okay. But he has done this before, where he's taken a horse from short on the dirt to go long on the turf. 
And the thing about it is uh, those two efforts are going to look pretty dull on paper to most of those playing this race. Others are going to draw far more interest. And she's sitting up there at 12 to 1 on the morning line. So in multi-race bets, I think you're going to get a lot of that 12 to 1 on number 7 before you. It could drift higher perhaps even. And so uh, she was a horse I wanted to take a chance with, although I do think you have to use at least both the 1 and the 2. Um, I'm not as strong on before you as I am on the other horses earlier in the sequence. So before you is the one I'm going to focus on, but but I'm not singling her here. All right, just looking at those stats, uh, the sprint to route, dirt to turf. He's got a 284 ROI. That's pretty impressive. So, okay, good point yeah, about good that. Uh, and 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 mostly in maiden races. So, Chris, where did you land here? Yeah, the past long shot's interesting. You know, always in these kind of races when you get lots of changes, like first route, first turf. That's interesting. Um, so I wouldn't talk him out of that. I lay, landed on Scarabay or Scarabee. Not sure how you say that. Scarabia. Um, Scarabia. I'm not sure. We'll find out. I should have probably uh, listened. I usually watch replays. Oh, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia. Scarabia, <laughs> Scarabia. There we go. Scarabia. Uh, Scarabia. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> another, <laughs> another, another port of call heard from. Yeah. Yes. Well, we'll find out. At least we'll find out uh, what the track announcer calls the horse. But it, whatever the name, however you pronounce the name, uh, it's the kind of horse I usually really like a lot. It its first turf try at Kentucky Downs was really good. It had the layoff. Comes off the bench for a non-layoff barn. Really runs a pretty good race. Now it goes second off a layoff as a three-year-old. Expect to see dramatic improvement here. Draws a good post. Um, you know, has to get a trip, but has a pretty good rider that tends to get underplayed. Lascano does, you know, uh, he's really good. And he gets, he's not one of these riders that gets bet like crazy, but he's very good. So a lot to like about that one. Uh, this is a tough race. So, you know, lots of horses could improve. But to me, this one, just it's got the obvious golden pattern that we've talked about many times on the pod. Second off a layoff for these three-year-olds. Three-year-old fillies going turf routes is not quite as strong as like on the dirt and with the Colts, but still a good pattern. And the horse probably you got double-digit odds. You probably will get that um, at post time. So number three, Scara or Scara something or other, um, the three-horse. All right, and I'm partially through the replay, so by the end of this, I will have the pronunciation. Unfortunately, she was in last, so he, she doesn't get she doesn't get uh, a call very often. I uh, unless Richard Grunder is calling, then you would have gotten the call. Right, <laughs> right it would it would have been like uh, before away. they got into the first turn. Yeah, of course he would have mispronounced it, so it wouldn't have been reliable anyway. <laughs> so I am also on Scarabia. Uh, the second off a layoff for a trainer who excels that way. See Lexitonian last week at 46 to one. Um, in fact, just to add fuel to the fire, I just looked it up second off of a 150 to 210 day layoff. This trainer is three for 15 with a 636 ROI, including a 15 to one this year on the turf. Her dam won the matchmaker stakes twice. 
Lescano won the personal ensign for this trainer on Vexatious, a grade one race last year, and he takes the call. So uh, I'm also I'm all about Scarabia, and I would I would add a few more horses, but um, but that's my top pick. Anything else, Pat, on your end? You're not gonna. Uh, I, I think you know, it, it, it's it's pushing me to to certainly include uh, Scarabia. You know, the nine third draft is one we haven't mentioned. Uh, ran second in that race that Scarabia was in. Scarabia was really, like you said, Scott, detached last um, and seemed to kind of get farther back as the pace quickened uh, going into the far turn. And third draft loomed up wide. That was her second start off of the two-year-old freshening and uh, really did just miss losing a, a kind of a long stretch duel with money for row. Uh, and, and, you know, she's definitely going to get plenty of play here, but uh, I, 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 I think it's, to me, it feels kind of warranted to be going for, for some, some additional value here. And, uh, and so, like I said, uh, uh, you know, but before you probably maybe offers even, even the most value of any of these, but um I'm not singling her, so I'll, I'll I'll use a couple in here. Yeah, I just one other horse I would mention, other than the three, is the four Wow, who is maybe a little more exposed than the other horses, but it's had some excuses in its last few. I mean, it got trounced three races back, but that was to Jouster, who turned out to be a pretty nice horse, went on to win some stakes race. Um, then then a race on the dirt, which I'll just throw out. And then its last race, it was really parked wide throughout the entire race. I think that was a lot better than it looked. This time he gets a, a more inside post. Some of the horses that beat him last time, um, like Gabby Squared, are you know outside him this time. Does kind of get a little bit of a, grid, a rider downgrade, but Cancel is okay. And um, if that horse could get a better trip, you know, save a little ground this time, not be four wide throughout, uh, it could surprise people at a big price. I am so close to Kurt Becker saying Scarabia. He didn't, she finished fourth and he didn't say her name. So he, he's he's on the sixth horse. <laughs> yeah, he's he on the sixth horse down the backstretch. He was afraid to say it because he had no idea how to pronounce it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I will. I I'm going to concur with you on Wow, who I think has a a big shot. Um, let me see why I liked her. Um, she's always been pretty fast, and she's circling back to a top. It's it's the kind of pattern where I'd have to. I'd absolutely positively have to use her. Um, and she's 12 to one. So like, she's, she's as fast as any horse in this race that, that has run. And I guess that's, that's about it. That's all we got for this race. eh? (laughs) Yeah. I think we kind of talked about all of them. (laughs) All right. Well, um, you guys have any other picks on the card? It is a pretty good, uh, stakes card. No, I'm, I'm, this is this is uh, for me, Scott. It's a it's a rare foray. Um, I, I don't spend most of my time looking at American racing for actual betting. 
I, I still look a lot at Hong Kong and think it offers some of the best opportunities and, and you know, that's why part of what we're trying to bring to America and inspire is more of an approach of the Hong Kong approach um, with the information that comes. But uh, it was a pleasure to, to really dive into the stats and, and look here a little more closely. And I will have a go here regardless to uh, support the work that I did do on the car. All right. Chris, did you have anything else? No, I looked at the other stakes race, but I didn't really have any great play in that sixth race. So, no, not really. Well, me either. So, in that case, I would like to thank our guest, Pat Cummings. Pat, thanks for showing up to share your ideas on both the industry and the Pick 5. A pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. That will conclude show number 120 of the Sport of Kings pod. Good luck in the Belmont Pick 5, and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout. I'll see you on Sport of Kings. Cheers. Giddy up. <laughs>